Welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Uh, if you're listening to this um, for the first time, this podcast is dedicated to reading American writers and uh, giving some th- reviews, commentary, thoughts, historical perspective, and whatever else comes to mind on them. I read about 100 pages per episode, and I use the Library of America which is this massive collection of American writers. It's up to like 250, 300 volumes now, each one collecting many volumes of great American writers. Um, Currently, I'm looking at the works of John Steinbeck. The first volume of their Steinbeck collection covers the novels written in 1932-1937. And I previously looked at The Pastors of Heaven to a God Unknown, Tortilla Flat, in Dubious Battle. And that leaves us with Steinbeck's Perhaps most, one of his most famous novels, one of two or three of his most famous, Of Mice and Men. Of Mice and Men was published in 1937. It was originally conceived of as a children's story, but it kind of developed into a, a novella, um, which, of course, is read by many children because it's commonly taught in, in schools because it's so thematically centered. It's... Um, very interesting. It's short. It's got a lot of the advantages to become a, a novel read by high school kids. It's um, very deeply entrenched in American culture and American minds, um, especially the characters of Lenny and George and that interaction. You've probably even seen cartoons that have parroted that relationship. It's become a play. It's been uh, filmed as uh, it's been put on film many times. So it's just really maybe the most well-known of of Steinbeck's novels. It's the one that most people probably have read if they've read any Steinbeck at all. So with that, I'm going to jump into this. Um, What what to say about this? Well, first, it's, you know, I assume most of you have read it. So I'll try to be quick with the plot summary and my, my walkthrough of the novel. It's it's written in only six short chapters. It's only about 100 pages. Uh, it might be even a little bit less than that. Um, so our main characters are, are Lenny and George. Um, they're traveling to a new job. They're migrant workers in the Salinas Valley, California. The novel actually begins with the setting, not the characters. Quote, a few miles south of Soledad, the Salinas River drops in close to the hillside bank and runs deep and green. The water is warm too, for it has slipped twinkling over the yellow sands in the sunlight before reaching the narrow pool. On one side of the river, the golden foothills slope curve up to the strong and rocky Galibin Mountains, but on the valley side, the water is lined with trees, willows fresh and green with every spring, carrying in their lower leaf junctures the debris of the winter's flooding um, and that's that uh, the, the novel is told in a very matter-of-fact way in fact Steinbeck's original title for this novel was like a thing that happened um, so everything is presented very objectively just as if we're watching this thing there's really not an overt moral judgment on any of the characters good or or bad you know generally the people in this novel are, are pretty pretty good there are there's Curly and his wife, who are, I guess, the antagonists of the novel. But even they are somewhat understandable. The reason we can sympathize with almost every character in this novel is because they all kind of exemplify the main theme of this novel, which is just loneliness and isolation. right? So even the, the characters who do serve as antagonists in the novel, they are seeking connections and companionship with people. So it's not just our main characters, Lenny and George. Um, so, as you probably know, George is a smaller man. 
Uh, he's traveling with Lenny, who's a very big man, very powerful, very strong. I mean, he can break a guy's hand just by kind of squeezing it. So he's, he's incredibly powerful, but he's got some kind of mental disability. It's not really specified. And, you know, this is not the first time that Steinbeck has dealt directly with mental disability. Um, I think pretty much every one of the novels that came before this that I looked at anyways, except To a God Unknown, exact you know has characters with some sort of mental mental disability so something that's really a lot on his mind uh, at this point in his career um in the first chapter they're basically settling down for the night before going into essentially a job interview at a ranch the next day uh george is very worried that lenny is going to disrupt the job interview by saying something so he urges him to be quiet um george scolds lenny for killing a mouse he finds out that George has, or Lenny has a mouse in his pocket that's, that he killed, and George scolds him for that. And we find out that Lenny likes to pet soft things, and he used to have a woman who would give him these animals to pet. Um, but in this case, the, the mouse has been killed. It's not really clear. Lenny, I think Lenny says that he found it that way, but George presumes he killed him through petting him too hard because he doesn't know his own strength. And George here complains that he could have had a much better life. Um, he could have you know, been a much happier person if he didn't have Lenny around. And the reader is, of course, forced to what question, why does George travel with, with Lenny? And we realize when we meet these other characters who are all very isolated, very lonely, that there's a companionship and there's something that, you know, George needs from Lenny and that is just kind of traveling with someone else, how much better that is. Uh, they have a past and it's explored in the novel, but you'd still... We really aren't given the clear example about why George travels with them outside of this this longing for a companion. Um, it's also here that we get the speech in which uh, Lenny demands George tell it. it. It sounds like they 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 share this dream many times. It's kind of a, a, a speech. Lenny's able to recite parts of it, so it's obviously something he's said a lot. And so their dream essentially is to buy some land, to buy a home. Um, and live on that land, live off the fat of the land, as Lenny says. And then Lenny's job would be to tend the rabbits. And this is this is the big dream they, they have. Well, of course, it's an unachievable dream at this point in their lives. They, they would need $500 or you know some amount of money. They're not going to get it. So they won't be able to buy the land. The best they can hope for is to keep dreaming as they travel from ranch to ranch. In the next chapter, Lenny and George go in to interview for the job at the ranch. They meet the boss. Uh, and the boss's son, Curly. Curly is a short man who, he was a boxer and he likes to fight. Uh, he often likes to fight bigger people to show show them up um, because he is kind of short, but he's got that skill. So he's often trying to pick fights with, with bigger people. George tries to keep Lenny silent throughout this job interview, but he fails. But eventually they do get the job, even though Lenny kind of exposes that he does have, you know, something wrong with his... Um, mind that he has some kind of disability um, so they get the job their, their main job is I guess bucking barley or basically just you know it's after harvest time so their job is to kind of take the packages of barley and load them up to be sent off so that's the job and they're, they're going to meet other field hands while they're at this job They meet Curly's wife. Curly's wife is is attractive. Uh, George warns Lenny to stay away from her because of the trouble they had at the previous ranch. Um, the trouble they had there was... Let me try to remember. 
It's actually in chapter three. So here's how George tells the story. Well, he's seen this girl in a red dress. Dumb bastard like he is. He wants to touch everything he likes. He just wants to feel it. So he reaches out to feel the red dress, dress and the girl lets out a squawk. And that gets Lenny all mixed up and he holds because it's the only thing he can think to do. Well, this girl squawks and squawks. I was just a little bit off and I heard all the yelling. So I come running. But by that time, Lenny's so scared, all he can do is just hold on. I socked him over the head with the fence picket to make him let go. He was so scared that he couldn't let go of the dress. And he's so damn strong, you know. And basically then there's, after, after this happens, the, the, the woman gets scared and accuses him of, of trying to rape her. And they have to leave, leave the job. And this, it sounds like that this kind of problem happens often. They meet some of the other ranch hands, uh, like there's a man named Slim. There's another, an older man named Candy who only has one hand. He lost a hand at some point. He has a very old dog. Um, and I don't know, I'm kind of just doing this off the top of my head. So it's, um, I mean, I get the chapters a little bit mixed up here. But that dog is really sick and old. And the other ranch hands basically say that they should put that dog out of the misery. And one of the other ones actually goes off and shoots uh, uh, Candy's dog. So, that, you know, and it's presented as a mercy killing. Lenny is given one of the puppies that another dog on the ranch bared, and Candy gets one. So there's these puppies around, too. Um, so in Chapter 3, George tells Slim the story of why they had to flee the last ranch. Um, basically because there's trouble with a woman. They talk with Candy, and Candy's an old-timer, um, and... He figures his time on these ranches is coming to an end. That he's going to have to basically sit down and retire. But he really doesn't have any family, any connections. But he has a little bit of money. And he overhears the story of Lenny and George's dream to own some land, to own a ranch. And basically Candy approaches them and says, well, I have this money. I think it's like $300. And George does some quick math in his head and he figures... You know, with the salary they're going to get from this job this month, and if they work, if George goes off and works, uh, you know, another couple months on the road, he could come back with enough money, you know, with candies that they could actually buy this this property they have in mind. So they actually have a property in mind, and I think it's like four, four or five hundred dollars or something that they'll need. So they can make it work. And for the first time, George realizes that this is not just a fantasy; that they could actually make it real, and they could form this little community this group of of three people um and in this chapter as well you have curly finally get in in lenny's face uh approach him and pick a fight with him and curly starts beating him and he is kind of a trained pugilist he is a fighter so he's he's doing a good job beating on lenny even though he's big but then lenny just grabs his hand and kind of mangles it um even though he's the boss's son the other rancher the ranch hands are able to tell curly that well you better keep quiet about this because, you know, if you tell the boss about this, we'll just say that you were picking on Lenny. And so that kind of shuts Curly down. And chapter four, chapter four is dedicated mostly to this incident between Lenny and Crooks. Crooks is the black stable hand. He's called Crooks because of his back. He's also very old. He's an isolated figure on the ranch because he's black. Lenny, who maybe is because of his disability, he's not really aware of, of the racial component of his isolation, does talk with him. He's very cynical and very isolated. So even though he's he's isolated by the others, he also has a, quite a bad attitude. 
and he makes fun of of Lenny's dream and is talking about owning this land. Now, although George told Lenny, don't tell anyone else about our plans, Lenny kind of has a big mouth and tells Crooks about it. And Crooks just sort of laughs about it and mocks his, his idea and his dreams. And he says things like, you know what George is off doing? Because I think at this point, George actually left Lenny alone for a while, feeling comfortable and optimistic about his future. And Crook says, well, you know what George is doing now? He's off at a cat house with the lady spending the money. There's not, you're not going to end up on your own land. Crowley's wife enters and sort of flirts with, with Lenny. I, I think she saw him looking at him earlier in the book, the first time they met. Curly's or no, Crooks doesn't want anything really to do with this woman. She, I guess, he knows his reputation. He also knows to stay away from white women, and this is proven to be a real threat because Curly's wife, when she gets upset with Crooks, basically telling her to go away, threatens to have Crooks lynched, and she, you know, this is apparently a reliable threat where she could just announce that Crooks tried to touch me or rape me. And then Crooks could be lynched, and this shuts him off, shuts him down, and 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 um, and in this scene, we really see the racial component of life on these ranches, and how you know precarious it could be to be uh, a lone black person in a in a ranch like this. In the next scene, we have the the famous bar scene, barn scene. Um, when the chapter opens, Lenny is despairing over the fact that he killed this puppy. This puppy he had, and you know he he tries to hide the body because he knows George is going to yell at him, and he's afraid George won't want to go with him to the land, uh, you know, go in with him anymore, and then he'd be all alone. So he's trying to bury this puppy and, and hide it. That's when Curly's wife comes in, um, and she again flirts with him. And Lenny starts patting her hair because she's, you know, she's like, oh, you like soft things. She sees the dead body of the, the puppy and they talk about it. And then she's like, you, I like soft things. And he starts to pet her hair. And then she kind of freaks out because he's so big and strong. And Lenny grabs her hair. She starts fighting and struggling. And then Lenny accidentally breaks her neck and she dies. When Curly's wife's body is discovered, the ranch hands get together and Curly prepares to lynch Lenny. George goes off with with Lenny or, or with, the, with the group to find Lenny. Goes out with the, the group. He really kind of has to, um, but he is able to sneak ahead. He, he figures that George will or he figures George, Lenny will go to this predetermined place where he told him early on, like, if you get into trouble, come here and I'll find you here. So he figures that's where Lenny may have gone. And he goes ahead and there. Uh, Lenny is. Lenny is hallucinating. He sees like a big rabbit. He sees this woman he used to live with. And the story he gets from these hallucinations is basically you're going to be alone and George is going to leave you and you, you messed up, essentially. George finds him. George tries to calm him down and tells him the story of the dream they have, the dream they share. And while he's telling the story, he shoots Lenny in the back of the head. Uh, the rest of the people come, they see the dead body, and they just kind of, you know, say, well, you know, big deal, no big deal. You know, he was going to die anyways. I think it's the ranch hand Slim who's there. I think Slim was the one who actually uh, killed the dog earlier in there as a mercy killing. And he says, you had to, George. I swear you had to. Come on with me. And then Curly and Carlson, 
come and they say, well, what the hell do you suppose is eating them two guys? As if they really don't realize how important, um, how traumatic this was for, for George to do this. As I said before, it's all presented in a very matter-of-fact way. And there's really no moment of really moral judgment about this, um, this, this murder of, of Lenny. Was it a mercy killing or, or not? I guess is something for the moralist to decide. Lenny probably would have been lynched had George not done this. Now, what are the themes in this novel? Obviously, this is the novel about loneliness. Uh, no, loneliness comes up again and again in every page. The characters are lonely or they fear loneliness or they're seeking companionship from other people. Even Curly's wife, you know, she's flirting with the men on the ranch because, you know, she, she feels something lacking in her interpersonal connections. As one of the few women on the ranch, maybe the only one we really meet, you know, she's she's isolated as well. And, and for, this comes off from the very first chapter. Uh, George says... George says, what's special about us? He always tells Lenny what, what's special about us. We're different than these other ranch hands. We're different than these other migrant workers. Quote, guys like us, they work on ranches, are the loneliest guys in the world. They got no family. They don't belong no place. They come to the ranch and work up a stake, and then they go into a town and they blow their stake, and the first thing you know, they're pounding the trail on some other ranch. They ain't got nothing to look ahead to. Lenny was delighted. That's it, that's it. Now tell it how it is with us. George went on. Well... Us ain't like that. We got a future. We got somebody to talk to that gives a damn about us. We don't just have to sit in no bar room blowing our jack just because we got no place else to go. And the mother guys gets in jail and they can rot for all anyone gives a damn, but not us. Um, so this is identified very early on by George as what makes them special. Candy is just as desperate for friendship, and he's lived a very long time in this very precarious, lonely situation. You know, and as soon as he gets a chance to join up with George and Lenny, you know, he he wants to. All these characters have weaknesses and weaknesses that really limit their ability to reach out and connect with other people. Um, of course, Lenny has his weakness of his mental disability. George is small and, a, and because of his size, a bit out of place in some of the with these other ranch hands. Not always taken seriously as a good worker. I think even when, you know, they're interviewing, you know, it's pointed out that he's a small guy. Um, but kind of Lenny makes up for that. Lenny's presence sort of makes up for that. Candy is old. He's disabled. Uh, his best friend is this old dog who he loses in the middle of the novel. Um, Curly is short. Uh, he's kind of cantankerous. And so he feels... Out of place. He's also in a position of power, so he has that disconnect with the other ranch hands. Curly's wife is really the only woman we have, and she feels very, I guess, unsatisfied in her relationship with Curly. Um, so she has that disability. Even the animals we see, uh, the mice and the puppy that Lenny kills, they're weak, and that's their disability. So disability comes throughout uh, in many areas. Although Lenny's disability is the most conspicuous and the clearest one to see, we can point to disabilities among many other characters. Candy with the one hand, for instance. Or If loneliness and disability are, are kind of themes on one side of the picture, dreams are the other one. Um, and as we've seen, dreams are a big thing running through all of these Steinbeck stories early on especially in the Pastures of Heaven. 
where you have this dreaming of all these characters who want to go to California, or want to go to this valley, uh, this particular community, to make a new life for themselves. And now they don't always get there. They, they're not capable of making a new life or something gets in the way or something frustrates it. But they all have that, that dream. Uh, in, in Dubious Battle, you don't have the dream as strong because it's really focusing on this one event, this violent conflict, right? But in the backdrop, I think there's still dreaming of a, of a better life for many of these characters. Maybe not Max so much, the union instigator, but for Jim, there's a longing for community. Uh, for for some of the, the apple pickers in that, that novel, that dream of kind of having a more stable and, and better life uh, motivates them. In Tortilla Flat, there, uh, there's, there's dreaming as well. Um, so, sorry. Okay, the clearest dream in this novel is the one of Lenny and George to, to own land, of course. And this connection between owning land and being free is a big one here. Later on, when Lenny's talking to Crooks about their plans to buy land, Crooks mocks them and he says, essentially, every migrant worker, every ranch hand, every, you know, all the people like you have this dream, that you're not special because you have this dream, but no one ever achieves it. It's, it's unachievable. Here's what Crooks said. Um, oh no, it's candy. I think Candy says it. Sure, they all want it. Everyone wants a little bit of land. Not much. Just something that was his. Something he could live on. And it couldn't. Nobody throw him off it. I never had none. I planted crops for damn near everyone in the state. But that wasn't my crops. And when I harvest them, it wasn't none of my harvest. But we want to do it now. And don't you make no mistake about it. George ain't got the money in town. The money's in the bank. Mine and Lenny's and George. We got going to have room for ourselves. We're going to have a dog and rabbits and chickens. We're going to have green corn and maybe a cow or a goat and then you have crook's reply and he says i've never seen a guy really do it i've seen guys nearly crazy with loneliness for land but every time a whore house or a blackjack game took what he takes if you guys would want a hand to work for nothing just as keep why i'd come and lend a hand i ain't so crippled i can't work like a son of a bitch if i want to so even crook's here kind of hints that maybe he could join in the gang, but largely he's cynical about their plans. Another important part of this story has to be the theme of race. Um, and it's, I guess it's not one of the most conspicuous themes here, but especially in chapter four, when we meet Crooks, it, it does emerge as a, a strong and important part of the story. Um, it's a source of isolation for this character, Crooks. It's something dividing up the ranch hands um, between black and white. And then, of course, just the the deepness of the threat of lynching, it really comes off very strongly off the page when it's emerged. It's only for a moment, but it's so memorable that it really comes off as a major part of this story. So Crooks is upset that, that Curly's wife comes into her, into his domain, into his workplace. He says, I had enough. You got no rights coming in a colored man's room. You got no rights messing around in here at all. Now, uh, you just get out and get out quick. If you don't, I'm going to ask the boss not to let you come into the barn no more. She turned to him in scorn. Listen, and then there's the N-word, she said. You know what I can do to you if I open, if you open your trap. Crook stared hopelessly at her, and then he sat down on his bunk and drew into himself. She closed on him. You know what I could do? Crook seemed to grow smaller, and he pressed himself against the wall. Yes, ma'am. Well, then you keep your place then. 
I could get you strung up in a tree so easily, it ain't even funny. And this shuts down Crooks immediately. In fact, it wasn't even when she directly states it. That just kind of rubs it in. She just hints at it, and Crooks immediately is disarmed and and subordinate to her in that scene. It, it's, it's only like three or four lines, but it's pretty shocking when you read it for the first time. Um, of course, we have the whole theme of the right to die. Um, and we have two characters who are essentially um, murdered, and, and it's justified as a mercy killing. We have Curly's dog, and then we have, have Lenny. Uh, not Curly's dog, sorry, Candy's dog. Candy's dog is old and smelly, and it's just not going to live that long anyways. And then, of course, you have um, Lenny, who... Kind of the mercy killing is in two ways. On the one hand, it's he's going to probably be lynched by Curly and, and the other ranch hands. But on the other hand, I think George realizes that there's really not going to be a future happy life for, for Lenny, that he's never going to be able to overcome his disabilities. And there are always going to be a problem in his life. And if it doesn't happen today, it's going to happen sometime in the future. And as I said, Steinbeck doesn't really moralize this, this issue. He just presents it as all matter of fact, just something that happened, a thing that happened as the original title of the novel was. So um, that does it. I mean, it's a, it's a very short, concise novel. It's, you know, that's, it's thematically quite centered. It's not very disparate. I think some other of these novels we looked at in this series, they have a lot of themes going in many different directions, but this one is really centered on the, on the issues of dreams and loneliness and how it affects these migrant workers. In the backdrop, we have themes that connect to other things we've re read about, though. Uh, we got another novel here about the Great Depression. Of course, it's written during the Great Depression, and it's set in the context of the Great Depression, in which you had a lot of people who were dislodged from land and wandering around looking for work. Uh, you have the theme of migration again, which has been pretty much common in every Steinbeck novel we've looked at. Uh, in the early novels, there was just the migration west. Uh, and in these novels, in Dubious Battle um, and in Of Mice and Men, it's these, this population of workers who, who move around, migrant workers. We got the theme here of upward mobility, this uh, dream of moving up in society. And, and for these workers, it's attached to owning land. Right. Having, as, as Candy says it, it's having land that having a harvest that's your own. Right. Not just working other people's harvests. Gender plays a role here. And as we've seen in the Earl, other Steinbeck novels, there's this issue of how women are being presented. The only woman we have in this story is Curly's wife. And then there's this nicer woman in the backdrop of, of Lenny and George's life. But she's dead and not really part of the story. Curly's wife is the only really woman we have on the ranch, and she's presented as a seductress as a, a threat to Lenny and ultimately the, um, you know, a source of evil in, in, the, in, the, in the ranch in many ways. Steinbeck talked about Curly's wife as just a, a symbol, right? Just the instigator of the plot um, and not really as a woman in the sense of a fully developed character, and she's not really that. Um, other women are referred to uh, mostly as prostitutes, as cat houses, as places to spend, you know, sources of, of... One of the reasons these men can't get ahead is because they spend their money on prostitutes. So cat houses are mentioned several times. And, and I think in all Steinbeck novels up to this point, women 
show up as prostitutes, except maybe uh, to a God unknown, which is a bit anomalous. But in Pastors of Heaven and Tortilla Flat and in Dubious Battle, women are, are primarily as sexual objects for men. And we'll see what uh, if Steinbeck emerges beyond this theme in his later novels. But I won't be following this up with the other Steinbeck novels. I'll take a break from Steinbeck and come back to it later. We'll get to Grapes of Wrath and, and East of Eden later. And then we have the theme of friendship uh, is another theme that's established here. We saw it, of course, in Tortilla Flat and, and uh, less so in, in Dubious Battle, but we have the kind of the core root of a friendship between maybe Mac and Jim or between London and, and, and Jim. Here it's much stronger. We have a very deep friendship between Lenny and George that goes back many years and it's really the foundation of their relationship. George says from the beginning, this is what makes us special is our friendship. And then the fact that they have this friendship that other people don't have is a source of tension uh, on the ranch. So um, that does it for Of Mice and Men, and that does it for this part of Steinbeck's career. Uh, I will be coming back to Steinbeck in the future, but for now, I'll be moving on to an, another writer, kind of from the same period, uh, a little bit earlier, but it, we'll be looking at Jack London. I've been really eager to get into uh, John Barleycorn. Uh, I've wanted to review this uh, pretty much since I started this podcast. Uh, I got a lot of things I want to say about that novel. Or the, it's not really a really novel, it's a memoir. Um, so we'll be looking at a volume of Jack London's works titled Jack London Novels and Social Writings. The books we'll be looking at will be um, The People of the Abyss, which is Jack London's survey of, of London. People of the Abyss, The Road, which will be a memoir of Jack London's time as kind of a migrant worker. Um, the Iron Heel, his science fiction tale about an authoritarian uh, future America. Martin Eden, a, a, a novel, but that's very memoir-ish about a young writer. And then John Barleycorn. So we'll be taking a series of, of Jack London's novels uh, coming up. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my thoughts on this. If you have thoughts about Of Mice and Men, if you've read it, and I, I hope most of you have, you know, I'd love to hear your experiences. And, and is there anything I missed? Was there things that you think are really important that I didn't talk about, uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say. So again, thank you so much for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share it. Um, and I'll be back in 100 pages with Jack London's The People of the Abyss.